Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Meaning of Health. We hope that you are all safe and well during this time of social distancing and self-isolation for many around the world. Given the current pandemic that is currently taking place, Courtney and I decided to invite someone on with experience in infectious diseases to talk us through what they are and chat with us specifically about COVID-19. Dr. Barbara Natabi is a colleague of ours at the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. She has a wealth of experience practicing medicine in extremely challenging conditions, having worked on the front line with patients with HIV in Africa. She now lectures in infectious diseases, and we were fortunate to be able to talk to her about the current COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Health. I'm one of your hosts, Craig. And my name's Courtney. And we're here today with Professor Barbara Natabi. Hi, Barbara. Welcome. Hi. I, I like it that you have actually promoted me before I've actually got there. So my title is doctor, not professor yet. Okay. But um, it's nice to know that you do think I am. <laughs> soon. So, soon, I'm sure. Soon, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe by the end of this conversation, you'll be a professor. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now... Barbara, we have got you on the podcast today because you have a background in infectious diseases, don't you? Yes, I do. Um, um, thanks, everyone who's listening. My name is Barbara Natabi, and I'm a lecturer at the University of Western Australia, particularly at the School of Population and Global Health. So I'm medically trained. I finished medical school in 1997 back in Uganda many years ago, but I specifically have um, interests and expertise in infectious disease particularly HIV, so I'm not really related to coronavirus in this case. Um, but I also teach uh, communicable disease at the school. So I teach the unit um, PUBH 5761, Epidemiology and Control of Communicable Disease, which is a really interesting unit. In fact, I would encourage um, Masters of Population Health students to now do that unit so they <laughs> have a, a good understanding of uh, communicable disease and how we can control them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, when did you come to Australia from Uganda, Barbara? I came initially in 2008. I came to do a PhD in international health. So I was at Curtin University for my degree, took about four years to do. But partway there, I got a job with the West Australian Centre for Rural Health. So I was in Geraldton for eight years. And I recently returned to Perth. That was last year in April. And uh, as I said, I lecture at the school, so I lecture two units and coordinate two units. That's the health program evaluation unit, but also epidemiology and control of communicable diseases. Okay. Now, just before we get to what you're doing currently, um, what was the nature of some of the work you were doing back in Uganda? What were you dealing with? I know you were on the front line quite a bit. Yes. So as I said, I'm medically trained and I completed my degree in 1997. And then I went to work for a very large hospital in northern Uganda, one of the largest hospitals um, at the time. And it was um, at the time there was a conflict going on. So we did have lots of patients. So the major disease I worked with, other than other uh, many other communicable diseases like malaria and the like, was HIV. So I was in charge of a large HIV department where we had about 10,000 patients enrolled. And we did quite a lot of public health work in terms of trying to help control transmission of disease. But we also did a lot of treatment of patients. So we had 
one of the largest antiretroviral clinics in uh, Uganda, where we treated over 1,000 patients at the time, but now they've gone on to be over 5,000 patients. But also, I did work for World Health Organization in 2006, 2007. And again, we had a lot of communicable diseases, so because that is really a, still a very big problem in Africa. And one of the diseases I had to combat was cholera. So cholera is a fecal oral transmitted disease. And we had, this was a very wide area, the, an area the size of about Victoria. And we had a lot of patients who were really sick with cholera and a lot of other underlying issues like poverty, very poor hygiene, lack of uh, water, lack of sanitation facilities. So um, that year was a very difficult year for me and all my colleagues because we were working against a lot of other um, other factors as well. So not just the disease itself and trying to control the disease, but also trying to improve uh, water and sanitation and provide toilets and things like that. So we worked with UNICEF um, and other UN organizations. We also worked with MSF, uh, Medicines Sans Frontieres, and other organizations like Oxfam. So it was a very big um, effort with organizations of various types and also local government as well, community members and a lot of health workers as well. So it was a very difficult um, control effort and um, it ended after a year, a full year of, uh, of an epidemic. Mm -hmm. And um, then I left and came to Australia after that and then hepatitis E hit. So, um, so you, you've been through it all then. You, you've seen a number of different epidemics, pandemics, whatever they are. <laughs> yes, it's, it's been busy and now I'm not at the call face anymore. Sometimes I feel very sad for, about that. that I, I'm, not, I'm not getting stuck into um, some of these efforts, but at least I now teach about these efforts. So, um, so I bring my experience and uh, all these diseases, because all the diseases are basically the same. It's about transmission of a disease from one human being to, the, to another another and how you control that and how you stop it moving from one person to another. That is all what communicable disease is all about. Okay. So do you, just for the people listening, do you just want to give a quick outline of what a communicable disease is, how it spreads, um, what we normally do to kind of combat and prevent them? Okay. Before I describe what a communicable disease is, let me just briefly explain what an infectious disease is. So an infectious disease is one that is caused by a microorganism. So we, we have bacteria, viruses, protozoa, and other parasites. So basically those are infectious diseases that attack us as human beings and make us unwell. But what a communicable disease is, it is an infectious disease because it's caused by a microorganism. It's one where I, as an individual human being, transmit it to another person. Now, I may transmit it directly, for example, by sneezing in your face or having a sexual <laughs> well, that intercourse. that wouldn't be very fun. <laughs> That's not fun, though. <laughs> or having sexual intercourse with you or touching your hands. So that means I've transmitted my microorganism to you directly, or I may transmit it indirectly. So, for example, I may, for example, what was happening in Africa, I may defecate in a water source, and then you come and collect that water and drink it and then you get my organism, but by an indirect method. Or a mosquito may bite me, pick up my malaria parasite, um, and then pass that on to another person. So basically what a communicable disease is, is basically an infectious disease that is transmitted from one person to another, either directly or indirectly. And 
all the efforts around control of communicable disease, and we'll talk about this in time when we're talking about COVID-19, basically what we're trying to do is to prevent me from giving my infection to you, either directly or indirectly. So it's about treating the, the person who has the disease or making sure that you, I socially distance myself from you so I don't give you my disease, or I wear condoms so that I don't give you my sexually transmitted disease, or we um, chlorinate water to make sure that we kill the germs in the water so that you don't drink my fecal organisms. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to say? So mm -hmm. ultimately, all we're trying to do in communicable disease is prevent you from getting it. And we differentiate, sorry, we differentiate communicable disease from non-communicable diseases. Because, for example, if I have diabetes, I won't transmit it to you. And um, so if you get what I mean. So we just differentiate between communicable and non-communicable diseases because one can be transmitted, the other one cannot be transmitted. Yeah, so it kind of seems like there's, there's two potential ways to stop the transmission of communicable diseases. You've kind of got like the preventative and then you've got the treatment. So yes. um, <clears throat> what kind of preventative measures are there that you can use? So there, as you said, there are a lot of uh, preventive methods. Methods. So we in my and my students, we teach them several ways of prevention. But basically, what we are trying to do is to prevent you, me, from transmitting to you. So as I said, we treat the individual who has the disease, mm -hmm. uh, and then prevent it from you, from me, from transmitting it to you. Or we can prevent you from getting it, and we do that in several ways. We can, for example, vaccinate you mm -hmm. so that we improve your immunity so that if in case you do come across the disease, you will be able to combat it before it is able to sort of set in, in your body. So that's why there are vaccines like measles vaccines, um, mumps vaccines, all sorts of vaccines that have been developed over time have really been about preventing you from, you can't, we don't prevent you from, from, the, from, the, from the, the virus from contacting getting touching your to your body, for example, but we are preventing the disease from setting in in your body. Mm -hmm. If you get it sort of a, a layman's way of, of explaining it. So prevention is we can do prevention at various levels. But ultimately for all diseases, that's what we are looking to do. We have to understand what the disease is, how the disease is transmitted, and how we can prevent people from getting that disease. Okay. And yeah. So once somebody does get the disease, then I guess it's down to the doctors to try and treat them. Um, so what are some of the ways you might treat people for some of these diseases that you've mentioned? Now, it depends very much uh, when you're trying to treat patients. It depends very much on what organism they have. Mm -hmm. So for a lot, of treat a lot of diseases, we do have treatments. So if you have a bacterial disease, we give you an antibiotic. If you... Um, I have a disease for which we have a cure. So, for example, we now have a cure for hepatitis C in this country. If we know that you have hepatitis C, we can give you treatment for it. However, there are quite a number of diseases for which we do not have treatment, uh, what we would call a, a full cure. So, for example, in HIV, the case of HIV, which, we managed, which I managed for a very long time, we don't have a complete cure for it. But we do have treatments that can reduce your viral load and help your immune system recover and then you can live a better quality life. For a lot of viruses, we do not have treatments for them at all. 
And so what there we aim to do is to just give you care, support your systems while your body and your immune system fight the, the disease and the, and the viruses. Your body eventually over, hopefully overcomes the virus before, mm-hmm. of course, you die. So okay. it's very, the treatments that we give you depend very much on the disease that you have. And then okay. we have a treatment for it or just um, sometimes you just have to wait it out. And just quickly, um, uh, viral load, that's the basically the amount of virus in your body, right? Yeah, cool. Yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, I use some of these terms without thinking about who's this. No, yeah. and we all do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the, the viral load in HIV, yes, the example I gave is about how much virus you have in your body. Okay. Now, there's been a couple, there's obviously a lot of information flying around about COVID-19. Now, I've seen the terms SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 both used. Could, could you explain for us what the difference is between those two things and how they relate to each other? So um, WHO has given us a good explanation of what that is. So basically what COVID-19 is, is the disease. And SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. Okay. Because usually when we have a new organism that has been identified, so the, disease, the, the, the virus might have been there for many years without our knowledge. It's, it's difficult to know, and we'll have to go back in, in time to determine whether when this um, virus started. But whenever a, a new disease or sorry, virus is detected, the WHO goes through a process of naming it. So SARS, which we which was there in uh, several years ago, was named, and that was assumed to be this. SARS-1, and now we call this SARS-2. And SARS basically is um, severe acute respiratory syndrome. Mm-hmm. Okay. COV-2, yes. yes. So yeah. that, that's, they're, they're basically the same thing, but one is the disease and the other one is the virus. And, and where does the term coronavirus come from? What is the significance of that? Coronavirus is a group of viruses. So uh, we've had coronaviruses for many years. It's just that people did not know because it was not sort of well understood, but it's just that everybody now knows that there's something called a coronavirus, but we do have several coronaviruses. So this is just one of them, a newly, relatively newly discovered one, which is now putting us, of course, under a lot of tension because nobody has immunity for it. Um, for a lot of the other coronaviruses, we do have immunity. So if there was an outbreak in a, in a, in a community, we wouldn't be so worried. But this mm-hmm. one is particularly concerned because we do not have um, immunity. Nobody has immunity to this disease. because okay. it's- So would we be building up immunity? So once this kind of goes through the community, I guess there'd be a portion of people that will build up immunity and then we can, I guess form vaccines and all this kind of stuff on that or how does that work we keep our fingers crossed that we do develop immunity and i think over the next few um months we'll be able to determine whether or not we're able to develop immunity to this uh, virus but for most viruses we do develop some form of immunity so for example measles um you can either get a measles vaccine or you can actually get the measles itself and having measles itself is actually you do gain immunity to measles, so you don't actually get it again. But the reason why we develop a measles vaccines because we don't want the whole everybody to die in the process of getting immunity. So we are watching this disease very closely because I did see an article uh, recently which said that someone who had COVID got COVID again. So we are, um, and that, but that was just uh, one patient. So we, uh, we think they'll be clo- uh, following the people very close, the ones who've fallen ill and recovered to determine whether or not they actually develop 
um, immunity that will prevent them from getting COVID the second time. And because you can you can develop antibodies to um, you can develop antibodies to a, to, a, to, a, to a virus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've developed immunity to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I think um, in any of the evidence that we might talk about during this podcast, we should probably just make people aware that. The sample sizes, so the number of participants in these studies is very small currently. Um, so because it's such a new virus, um, so the evidence is changing every every time, isn't yes, it? The, the evidence is changing. What's really interesting is that because um, usually for many diseases, sometimes publications of papers takes a while, but I think there's been quite a push for people to publish and publish in open access so that we're getting information out there really quickly that other people can use. So... Yep. We do know that we'll have a lot of information about this disease in, in the coming few months. Mm-hmm. But it's just that, as you said, we need to be patient. This is a very new virus mm-hmm. and um, we are learning as we go. Now, we were talking before about communicable versus non-communicable diseases. So this one's communicable uh, because yes. it is spreading between people. Um, how do we, what do we know about how it is spreading? How is, how is it moving from one person to, to the next? So if you remember, I talked about direct and indirect ways of transmission so the way we understand this virus at the moment what what we understand about communi- the way it is being transmitted is mainly by direct by direct transmission so it is believed that people have uh, that the virus is in droplets so that if i sneezed and you are near me then just the droplets would um you breathe them in and then you contract the disease from me so that is the major way of transmission and that's why people are emphasizing social distancing because all we are trying to do is if i have the virus to prevent you from getting it because you're rather distance away from me i think there's still a bit of controversy about how what that distance is a lot of people are saying 1.5 meters i've seen some literature which says 4.5 meters but as i said it's all out there we shall Mm -hmm. As I say, hindsight is twenty twenty. Is that the yeah. same? Yeah. yeah. We all know about it in a few months' <laughs> time, how the, the correct <laughs> distance. So, um, that, that, so that is the major way of transmission. Okay. However, there's also been uh, a lot of um, indication that also it is being transmitted indirectly through what we call fomites. So fomites are basically non-living things that people touch and may contract the virus from and then contaminate themselves. And that is why there's a lot of emphasis around washing hands. Because our hands, and my mother is a microbiologist, (laughs) and from the time I was very young, I always understood that the dirtiest part of our bodies are actually our hands. And not necessarily because we intend it, but because we are always touching things. So the major emphasis about washing hands is that our hands are majorly responsible for making us unwell. So if we wash our hands frequently, whichever bacteria or virus or whatever it is that we've picked up, it is hoped that we shall wash the bacteria and viruses away and reduce the, the load of bacterial viruses that we have in our hands. So the second form of transmission is mainly believed to be our hands, things that we touch, and then we put touch our noses, we touch our eyes, we touch our mouth, which we do several times a day. So the major one is, as I said, direct transmission, person to person by droplets, um, by droplets, and the, the other one is also by indirect transmition through what we call formites. So formites are basically things, 
things that we touch. So it might be a hospital bed. It might be, um, I don't want to alarm anyone, maybe you're holding something in the bus. So mm-hmm. You're trying to prevent yourself from falling. So the emphasis is go home and wash your hands first before you touch your face, your mm-hmm. mouth, or your nose. So that is, that is the way we're understanding the transmission rules. And it's probably worth noting for people listening that we are practising social distancing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we're, we're all in our respective uh, uh, different areas, I think. Yeah, so we're yeah, doing so, this so, remotely. Yeah. So if, if, if you sneezed or coughed or sent out some droplets, I would not be able to get them through, that's right. through my computer screen. <laughs> now, that would be an interesting virus if it could go through the internet, but yeah. obviously... Very, that's very different, wrong. That's a different, <laughs> um, different type of virus. Different type of virus. Though um, <laughs> so I do have a question. So, uh, so we know that these viruses go through sneezing and things like that. Now, is there a chance that, uh, for example, like with other conditions that get passed through water systems, um, like if so many of us sneeze into a river or something like that, someone later on could get it from that river? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think that has been proven yet. Maybe, okay. maybe if you if you defecated in a river and you had hepatitis E, maybe yeah, okay. you pass it on to other people. But I don't think COVID nineteen has yet been. Um, in, we have indicated that it's transmitted that way. But I, I think there's a bit of literature around, and this is still very new around fecal um, transmission. But I'll scrap that for the moment. We still know that it is droplet transmission and um, fomite. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, there's a lot of talk in the the media as well, and and from health agencies about flattening the curve, yes. and what happens if we don't take actions to prevent this spreading versus what happens if we do. Can you just talk a little bit about that and what that means? Now, I think there's generally an understanding that we will very many people will get this infection, just like millions have got HIV, millions have got um, have had uh, influenza. Millions have had measles, millions have had tuberculosis. Because we're such a large population of human beings and we're constantly in touch with each other, it's inevitable that we will get the disease. And we, I think it's something that we all have to understand. Many of us have had the, the flu or influenza. Many of, many of us in Africa have had malaria. These are diseases, that's the nature of, of life. We do get infections. But the major thing that a lot of governments want to prevent is all of us getting it at the same time. <laughs> so that is basically what it is. Okay. They would hope that Barbara will get it in August. They hope that Craig gets it in, in, in December and Courtney gets it in, in January next year. <laughs> so basically that's what flattening the curve means. It means that we push down the numbers of people who get the disease at a particular point of time and sort of spread it out instead of us having it all at the same time. Because if we have it all at the same time, we shall overwhelm the health services. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen from China, but particularly from Italy, that any health service can be overwhelmed. It's not just the African health services, and I come from Africa, I know what it's like there. But even in developed countries, the health service can be overwhelmed. We have a finite number of resources. We have a finite number of health workers. If we have a large surge of people getting sick, lay people, ordinary people every day, if our health workers get sick, they can't work, 
basically what we're trying to do is to reduce the number of people who get the disease at any point in time so that we do not overwhelm the health service. Mm-hmm. Because we have a limited number of ICU beds, um, intensive care unit beds, and though a small percentage of people eventually need those beds, it's a large enough number to overwhelm a health service, as mm-hmm. we've clearly seen in Italy. Yeah. So we're not saying that we won't get the disease that Australia, because there's no country right now in this world that is that, that will not get this disease. I made a joke to my son. I said, someone coughed in Wuhan <laughs> several months ago, yep. and we are all in trouble. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So we are, all, we are all interconnected now. And people compare this infection to SARS. SARS, which happened several years ago, and that was a completely different world. We didn't have a, a lot of uh, travel as we do now. We didn't. The world was not as interconnected as it is today. Mm-hmm. It just takes one person to fly from the US to Australia in a very short time, nine hours or less, yeah. and it is enough for them to get to Sydney and spread a disease, which will get me here in, in get someone in Geraldton, the Kimberley. Mm-hmm. So we are all interconnected. So ultimately, what flattening the curve is in a layman's time is just pushing out the number of disease people get disease at any one time okay so spreading it out over time as opposed to getting a spike yeah instead of getting a spike yes yeah and just from drawing on your clinical experience working in conditions where you probably did were in a health system that was overwhelmed in africa a lot of the time what sort of things can you can doctors do if they find themselves in that situation, like in Italy and Spain at the moment? Like, what 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 would those doctors be doing right now to try and get through this? Now it's very hard, and I really do pity the doctors, particularly the ones in Italy. And I do know that I think a few countries have been in to help them. I think there were Cuban doctors who arrived recently, and the, basically at, at that point, at that pinnacle point, you'd really hope that health services would be well supported and given more. Um, support from governments and all that sort of thing to be able to help, um, treat their patients. So that, that is so. What we hope is that, as I said, at that point, people get more help to to cure and not really cure, but manage the patients who are severely ill. But it comes back to prevention, mm-hmm. and it comes back to the general community. We cannot, re- in this case where there's an epidemic, we cannot rely only on health workers to manage this epidemic. We have to rely on each and every person across the world, wherever they are, to do their bit for the epidemic. Mm-hmm. So if your bit is stay at home and prevent your infection from getting another person, that's your bit. Mm-hmm. If your bit is stay at home, you're not infected yet, but stay at home to prevent you from getting an infection in the first place, that's your role as part of this overall epidemic. And there's this new term, I think it will become a new term in the Oxford Dictionary. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. I've had this again and again in the media. We actually all in this together. It's not a health worker issue. It's not a government issue. It's a whole of community issue where we all do our bit to help stem the epidemic. Mm-hmm. Now, and I know you haven't asked me this question, but I'll just uh, put this in um, part of the discussion. One of the most important things in infectious diseases is what we call a basic reproductive number. Now, a basic reproductive number is the average number of people that I, an infectious a person with an infectious disease, will infect in a, in a large susceptible population. 
Now, there have been a lot of calculations. Everybody has been trying to calculate what the basic reproductive number is so that we get an idea of how this disease is being transmitted and how fast it's being transmitted. Now, there are various figures I've seen. I've seen some from WHO, 1.95. Other people say three. Basically, what it means is the average number of people, if we take three, for example, the average number of people I will infect is three. And that's just the average. So I may infect one, I may infect 10, but the average number of people that I will infect if I have a disease is three in a, in a population which is susceptible. Now, we are all susceptible to this um, virus. Mm-hmm. Now, R0 depends on several things, but it particularly depends on how many contacts I have with other people. It depends on how how long I have the disease, but it also depends on how many contacts I have with the people in the general population. So I can bring R0, that basic average number, I can bring that number down by reducing my number of contacts. So we can initially, at the beginning of an epidemic, we may have an R naught, as we call it, the basic reproductive number of 10. So I can be on average infecting 10 people a day. Or if Barbara self-isolates when she has coronavirus, we can bring that R naught down mm-hmm. and bring it. So as long as R naught is more than one, that's an epidemic because mm-hmm. I'm infecting more than one person. If I bring it to less, if we bring it to less than one, it means I'm infecting less than one person and therefore it no longer is an epidemic and the epidemic dies out. Mm-hmm. So bringing this back to what I've said about this being a community effort, it's that if everybody self-isolates as we've been asked to do, we bring the R not down because we bring down the number of contacts that every individual has Every mm-hmm. infectious individual has. Yeah. So I living in, I staying in my house, you staying in your know, office, and Courtney, I don't know where you're, maybe at home. Yep. <laughs> we bring down the number of contacts that an infectious person has. So we bring down Arnold, and what was an epidemic becomes a non, becomes a non-epidemic. Mm. Right. And so, so this is the, so this is this is the science behind communicable disease. So when people are asked. Please don't go to Bondi Beach. <laughs> it's not because people want you to not to enjoy your, your if your day out or something like that. It's because we're trying to reduce the number of contacts so that this is no longer an epidemic. So, and I think this is I think this might be the major reason why people if you if you don't explain to people why people mm-hmm. will not understand why they have to do this. Why can't I go to the bar? Why can't I go to my hair salon? I mean, some of us. <laughs> The time yeah. it's done, our hair will be Rastafarian. <laughs> so, um, as in long, you know, long yeah. tri- trends and all that. So, all I'm saying is that as, as, as a communicable disease, a person who's been involved in communicable diseases, if we are, whatever communicable disease it is, if I have HIV, we try to reduce my number of contacts so that it's no longer an epidemic. Mm-hmm. If I have measles, we try to reduce my number of contacts and duration of my infection so that we don't, I don't infect so many people. So that's basically what this is all about. Whether you have coronavirus, whether you have influenza, flu, or whether you flu that we've known about, or whether you have HIV, chlamydia, gonorrhea, it's all about reducing the basic number of people that I have. Yeah. Okay. 
So basically it seems like people uh, tend to pass this virus on fairly easily if they're in contact with someone who's susceptible and they have the virus. Um, what do we know about how long someone who gets the virus is contagious for? So how, how long are they capable of passing this on for once they have the virus? If I told you an answer to that, I would be lying. Okay. Because <laughs> so, it's a very, 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 um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, as I said, a very a new disease. But mm-hmm. what we do know about, at least we, we have a sense of, is that people can transmit this disease even before they have symptoms. Mm-hmm. And this is particularly what is um, concerning about this disease. Because if someone has symptoms, then it is easier to self-isolate. I have symptoms, I have a, uh, have a cough. I have a fever, then I'm able to self-isolate. I think one of the most complex things about this um, infectious, this, this pandemic has been that people have been able to transmit the disease even when they don't have symptoms. So mm-hmm. I think for us in communicable disease, is the more worrying um, the more worrying thing because once you have symptoms, then you yourself are able to self-isolate or you go to hospital, so it's easier. And people are wearing, you know, the, the protective um, gear and all that sort of thing, so it's so we, we try to, to reduce transmission then. But um, I think for me, if as a communicable disease um, person, I personally would be more worried about transmission when you don't have it. And we've had this with a lot of diseases. We've had, for example, a lot of people um, don't know they have chlamydia, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's why we encourage people to test because either way we won't know if you had it or not. And especially for young people, not, not everybody. So I would encourage you, Craig, to yeah. dash out about the chlamydia test right now because you're not, <laughs> not in a susceptible age group. Yeah. But um, all I'm saying is that um, this is a very, a very um, new disease. And probably what I think for a lot of people who have been cured maybe assumed not to be unwell because many have then gone on to go home. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know whether or not they are still able to transmit. Hopefully they are not. <laughs> Now that's that's something that you you mentioned the word test and getting tested there. That's something that I've come across quite a bit. And there's places that have seemingly well developed healthcare systems where, like like United States, where they don't seem to be doing much testing. Can you just explain that to me? Because I know there are countries that have been doing testing routinely. But why would a country not implement testing? Now I think it's very much based on what the what the government itself and what the health experts would determine as necessary for that that community. Because sometimes you ask yourself, if, why are we testing? Now, some countries have been able to do it very well. We hear that South Korea, for example, have done very many tests. I think their government was very much interested in knowing how many people do have the, the virus, how can we control it. And so different health systems have been doing things, um, have been doing things differently. So I think it's very much determined by what the, the, the government thinks about why should, um, should we be doing testing? Does it help us to know how the epidemic is going? And even within Australia, we've had the guidelines change a bit, and I think soon there'll be new guidelines around testing. And I think a lot of issues has, have been around resources. So we, though the US is a developed country, I think we mustn't assume a lot of things about their health service. We do know that in among the OECD countries, there are for the amount of money they put into their health system, they don't have very good health outcomes. And I think they also have a very decentralized health system as well, which is managed very much like in Australia at state level. So then you may have different states doing um, different things. But what I think is really important to realize about this epidemic is that 
of pandemic is that the, the testing, and WHO did encourage people to test. But the question is, who are we testing? Do we test those with symptoms? Do we test people who are contacts? How do we know someone was a contact of another? Because, for example, people have been flying. Do we test everybody who was in the plane? Do we test everybody on the cruise ship? So I think it's a government deciding what's the best bang for our buck, as we Australians say, mm-hmm. where if I'm to test, who should I test and what would that information help me in controlling this epidemic? So I think a lot of those decisions are made at a government level and it would be based on how their health systems are and how they're going to manage the epidemic. Okay. How do you Sorry. think um, Australia's gone so far in terms of our testing? Because I know that we've got... Like, we're definitely not like South Korea and we're not testing everyone. We're just testing kind of, I think, main health service people. Um, And I think now we're going to go into testing police officers as well. So how do you think that is in terms of, like, what we could be doing or what we should be doing? No, I'm very loath to criticise the Australian (laughs) system at the moment because we are all struggling. I think we're all learning. We're all learning. And I've been watching this, I taught this subject to medical students in February, actually. And at that time, we only had 60,000 cases, I think, worldwide. Now, this morning, I checked, I think we have over 400,000 worldwide, and Australia is at 2,400, according to the news this morning. Mm-hmm. So we are all very much in a, a difficult situation. I think a lot of the experts, and, and, and as I said earlier, I, I don't know if anybody's an expert in this disease. The one-month experts. <laughs> the the one-month experts in this disease. I think a lot of people, a lot of us have been putting our ideas about this virus based on other viruses that have existed, like SARS and all that sort of thing. But SARS had only only about 8,000 people affected worldwide. Mm -hmm. We have 400,000 affected worldwide plus in terms of COVID-19. So I think the overall, I think the Australian system government is trying its best based on what the experts know and what they understand about transmission of disease. So I think the guidelines are changing based on what, what we're understanding about the disease and also about the resources that we have in, 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 in the system. So I think the people who are making decisions about who to test will very much have to determine why should we test? So why are we testing police officers? Why are we testing health workers? Should we test the people who came off the, the cruise ship or not? So I think they, a lot of decisions are being made as we go. So mm-hmm. um, but it's a, very, it's a very difficult situation for, I don't envy anyone who is in charge of this pandemic. Yeah, and we've, se- we've seen a bit of confusion even between people in the same government, you know, yes. saying different things about whether you can shake hands or whether you can't and, um, you know, as recently as 10 days ago, you know. So, yes. yeah, it's uh, obviously we are all learning on the run. We? We're all on the run, yes. And, yeah. and I think one thing we must always remember is that this is not the first disease that has affected this world. It's just that we are in, we are in a social media situation and we, we listen to the news 24-7. Mm-hmm. But let's try to remember back that there must be been the first day there was a measles outbreak somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was the first day that SARS broke out. Yep. The first day or month that HIV broke out. Mm-hmm. And which at the time was a very worrying disease. Now it's a chronic disease. We no longer worry about it. Mm-hmm. So the attitude I've taken is that we shall get to the other side. Mm-hmm. People who lived during World War I and World War II probably thought they would never end. And the world sort of moved on. 
unfortunately, a lot of casualties in the, in the interim. Mm -hmm. So the way I look at this disease, and I think we're, we're luckier now because we, for example, within a very short time, people understood the, the genomic sequence of this disease. Countries across the world are working on vaccines and, and or possible treatments. So overall, I think with this pandemic, we, we needn't be too worried in the sense that people are working 24-7 to try their best to get in control of this disease. In the interim, while the scientists are doing their work, the rest yeah. of the community should be self-isolating yeah, so that, okay. that people don't die in such as large numbers as is happening in some countries in the world. So mm -hmm. I think that that is my, my general attitude. There are so many other diseases. It's just that we've now forgotten about them. But at one time, there was a group of, of set of people who are equally as worried as we are today. So yeah. um, just to remember that this is a communicable disease like any other. It's transmitted from one person to the other. As long as we put measures in place to try to reduce that transmission. We may not completely get rid of transmission, but try to reduce it, flatten the curve, and wait for the scientists to do their bit mm. in terms of um, yeah, okay. in terms of, of finding the maybe not the cure, but at least um, a vaccine for it. Yeah, which would then ultimately stop the spread. Which would ultimately stop the spread. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a, a vaccine really is really the the, 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 the sort of the gold standard mm -hmm. for virus like this. If we did get a vaccine for it, that people just get um, vaccine. Just the way we like to get our flu vaccines every year. Mm -hmm. We'll just go get our vaccine for it, and then we shall uh, go back to, to to normal. Yeah. Okay. So, so before we before we finish up, I just wanted to touch on, um, in your opinion, what we're doing well currently, and also what we could be improving and doing a bit better to try and uh, deal with this. Um, what we're doing well, I think, we're trying our best to monitor this. Epidemic. I think to a degree we're having data coming out. There's very good data sharing, not only within Australia, but also worldwide, which I think is essential for any um, outbreak. So people are knowledgeable about what's going on and who has the disease, where and when, how many people are dying, how many. So I think um, how many people are recovering. So in terms of data, I think we, we're doing that well to get the, the information out there so people are well aware of how the epidemic is going. I think some in some areas, some control measures have been well done. And though we may learn, for example, know about a lot of the overall global control measures, I think even at local level, some control measures have been well done. So for example, I was listening to Pat Turner, who is the head of the ACHOS, natural, sorry, which is the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Service. And very many weeks ago, they were already discussing cutting off the remote communities mm -hmm. and asking people, do not come to remote communities because you will transmit infection here. Mm -hmm. So there's, because uh, of course we know that our indigenous uh, communities are more at risk of all diseases. And if this went through the, the, the communities there, then they could be decimated. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of local control measures which people don't get to hear about, which are going on on a daily basis, and everybody's trying their best to do their bit in various ways. I think where we need to work a bit harder is around social distancing. And I think the experts need to sit down and have a discussion about where the social distancing needs to be improved. Right now we're on 2,400 cases or thereabouts, in Australia, 
And I think we all remember when we had one case. Mm -hmm. And that was not a long time ago. We've gone from one case to 2,400 cases in a very short time period. So Mm -hmm. obviously there's something that we're not doing right in terms of, and a lot of that is actually not, and now it is, now we have community spread. But in the beginning, we didn't have much community spread. A lot of our infections were imports. Mm So people flying in, and we've we've been knowing about this disease, and this is what people, this is what I keep saying. Someone coughed in Wuhan, and we are now all struggling. The world is interconnected. The thing that we should have done immediately was to, I don't want to say seal off the borders, but (laughs) not not the best term for Australia. But I think we know what you mean. You know what I mean. So, so we should have had a sense then that this disease is coming. How do we prevent it from being imported? Mm-hmm. And I think we are still importing infection, unfortunately. Yeah. And well, I think we've we've had cases where uh, I don't want to particularly point out the cruise ship company, but I think we've had cases where we've had a cruise ship come in and then um, cases um, coming in and that sort of thing. So. And we all knew, understood about cruise ships when we, we heard about the Japanese cruise ship. This yes. was we all knew what was going to happen. But, uh... We all knew, we all knew what, had happened, what had happened with that cruise ship. And we, do, we did know when the cruise ships did come that we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So what, what we need to do, I think, is to improve on that social distancing. All of us as a community to, put, to, make our, to, to play our role in it. And as I said, even if you don't have the virus... Helping keeping that basic reproductive number down. Yeah. If you can, if you can. Mm-hmm. And then try to reduce on our imports, the mm-hmm. way we are importing the disease, because we do remember when we had one case and all of us were aware of it and we have watched that number grow. And mm-hmm. sometimes this happens with communicable diseases. You actually watch the graph grow up and then you think to yourself, what should I do? What should I do about it? But as long as you've understood how the numbers are increasing, then that is where you work up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Which is, which is basically contact in and this case. I think um, uh, just as a personal opinion, uh, a lot of people like my age and Craig's age, so between, you know, we're talking 18 and probably 35, um, Thank you. <laughs> we're all, we're all uh, uh, kind of thinking that, you know, it doesn't affect us. Um, whereas I, I think what a lot of people don't realise is if we get it, we pass it on. And then we'll yeah. pass it on to someone but that it can affect them significantly. Um, mm-hmm. So our I, I transmission think, is, is important as well. I think what people, and sometimes we, we, we don't want to blame a particular generation but, um, and I, I note that you kept me out of that generation. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not. Um, the, the issue is, I think people have to understand the reason why. Yes. Mm-hmm. And though I had skimmed over it, and maybe I didn't quite mention it, I think we need to improve on our communication. I agree. Communi- communication is key. Communication is key. We should have had SMSs. We should have had WhatsApp messages. We should have had every form of communication. But explain the reason why. Mm. If people understood the reason why. Mm -hmm. If if your generation understood that, yes, you may not be sick, but by you going to Bondi Beach, you're increasing the, the, the basic reproductive number. 
And I think a lot of people will not argue with that. If you explain to them in simple terms, while we are mm. trying to keep you out of the bars, the discotheques, for just a few months. Yep. And that sort of thing. So I think it's and about the why. Look, and we all know people that are at risk of dying from this if they happen to get it, whether they be our grandparents or, you know, family members or, or you know, friends who've got underlying health problems. So I think that's probably where the messaging is kind of falling down a little bit. Yeah. I think the messaging, I think, needs to improve. I think that's with on all communicable diseases, you have to get information out to communities. And not frightening communication, just explaining why this is necessary, why we're relying on you, everybody's role in this epidemic. Because some people think it's the health workers' problem, it's the government problem. No, no, no. It's a communicable disease which is which is transmitted from one human being to the other. We all have a role to play. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what kind of human you are. If you're Whatever human, then you can tra human. transmit it. Yes, you can transmit it. So this is, this is why we need everybody on board. Mm, excellent. Well, I think that's probably a good note to finish on. Um, I'd like to thank you for your time today, Barbara. Yes, it's been thank excellent. you very much. It has been fantastic. It's a, it has been a pleasure speaking to you. And um, as we said, we shall get to the other side. In a few yeah. months' time, we shall be back in our offices and everything will be back to normal. Yeah, and hopefully we can have another conversation in future where we can talk about what, we, what we've learned from this. Yes, what we've learned from this. And we will yeah. we, we'll learn a lot of from it. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. All right. All right. Thank you very much. All Thanks, right. everybody. Thank you. Okay, thank Bye. you. Bye. All right. That was a conversation with infectious diseases expert, Dr. Barbara Natabi. In the next episode, we will be continuing our COVID-19 theme, chatting with some guests who are currently working with some of society's most vulnerable people during the pandemic. We look forward to bringing you that episode soon. As always, you can message us at meaningofhealth@outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. Thank you for listening and we will be back soon. Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming. Mm-hmm.